All right, what's going on? Welcome to Canal and Bell. It's a Friday. Weekend is here. I am headed to the Keys for a little vacation. Raja is already in some Caribbean island now, sipping on a you know nice cold drink. So good for him. I'll be joining him on vacation. Not with him, but getting out of Dodge for a little bit uh, coming up later this afternoon. Hope everybody's having a good week and ready for the weekend as well. Big show we still got to get to. The NBA draft, Matt Norlander is going to help us break that down in just a couple of seconds. Uh, Bryant McFadden, my buddy B. Mac, is going to do a little bit of NFL, and he is also a massive Lakers fan. So I want to see how he feels about the disaster that's taking place in L.A. And I have a word on parenting in youth sports because... We have some serious problems that we have to delve into a little bit later in the show as well. The draft was last night. It's one of my favorite nights of the year. It's the NFL draft, NBA draft. No one watches the MLB draft, although it's pretty cool to see lives change there too. But when you see young men who have worked their entire lives to reach a goal and to see them achieve it, is it's just a feel-good moment. And when you see... R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson and a number of different players in tears over that life-changing moment, it really just it smacks you right in the face of what was at stake for these guys growing up and how much basketball meant to them, but also what basketball could provide for them and for the pressure that builds up on them. I don't think we can truly appreciate it sometimes. Uh, yeah, we've heard other guys, Kyle Lowry, say, you know, true pressure isn't hitting a shot in the playoffs. It's having to put food on the table for my mom when I was growing up. And everybody has a different, unique circumstance, but there's still an incredible amount of pressure on these guys when they're going up through youth leagues and playing AAU and playing high school basketball and then finally getting to a, uh, a circumstance at a college and having to deliver their entire lives with all this pressure and finally to get to the reward. It's just a cool moment to see it unfold. The one thing, the one beef I would have last night, uh, we're going to have Matt Moore later in just a couple seconds. The one beef I would have is the hat game is there, but we got to do something to have visors so they can fit their hair underneath so it can actually sit down. And then can we get the right hats and can we get the right graphics? Because I know a lot of trades take place and they're not going to finalize till later, but can we stop the facade and just get, Talk about the player, where he's going, have the graphics lined up and the hat matched up so that you're not having to have a guy wearing a hat of the Lakers and he's not even going to play for the Lakers. To me, that makes no sense. That's my only beef last night. Otherwise than that, a great night, uh, emotional night for sure. And some game-changing players are going to be uh, stepping into the NBA. So to help us break this all down, we're going to get Matt Norlander. He's our CBS Sports college basketball writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Norlander. Hey, man, I appreciate you joining us. I saw you last night uh, late on CBS Sports HQ on our live draft coverage. I know you did a podcast. So where can the list, where can they find the podcast to make sure they're going to listen to you guys, what you were putting out at 3 a.m. last night? Oh, yeah, me and my buddy GP, Gary Parrish, we recorded the Ion College Basketball podcast right there at our Stanford HQ. You can just look at anywhere you download podcasts. I on College Basketball Podcast. It is the most popular college basketball podcast out there. Uh, very much appreciate that. And I'll tag your thought, by the way, real quick here. Danny, I'm with you on the hat and the graphic situation. We discussed this in the, in the heat of the moment on our draft show on HQ. I don't understand why in the year 2019 this is still happening. I actually, uh, it's the equivalent of the Oakland Raiders still playing on a baseball field as a professional <laughs> football team. Like, why is that still happening in the year 2019? Having these guys put on these hats, there must be some extremely litigious reason why this still happens, but it's absolutely absurd when the, when the trades have already gone through, when they've been reported to put through, why are you giving them the photo opportunity with the commissioner on the stage 
That's like the main photo wires are taking that. That's, that's the, the DeAndre Hunter wears a Lakers hat. It just yep. makes no sense. So I, I could not be more with you on that specific point. This thing should have been faded out 15 years ago, and yet it's still happening. And think about all the outfits that are worn, and we always make fun of these photos down the road. We'll say, oh, look at that outfit, and you always notice the hat. So you're going to have players that could play their entire career, never play for the team that they're wearing the hat of. So, yeah, I agree with you. That's our rant, though. Let's move on to the actual uh selections that took place. Let's start with the top three, starting with Zion Williamson, because to no one's surprise, he's taken number one. He's going to New Orleans. Uh, your expectation for him is what? Because I think they're all over the map. Some people are saying, hey, this could be the next LeBron James. I am in that camp. There are a lot of people. My buddy Raja says R.J. Barrett might be the better pro. Where do you stand on the projection for Zion in the NBA? I'll try and be specific here. I'll say Zion Williamson uh, will fall short of the hype that we were surrounding with him right now because, frankly, the last player that had this much hype coming into the league, obviously, was LeBron James. And to meet that kind of level is asking too much of any player, no matter who that player is. But I think that Zion Williamson... Uh, will be a multiple-time All-Star. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in the uh, the three to five time range, which is no small thing whatsoever. To me, it's more about what you put around him to to allow him to thrive. Because I said on HQ on Thursday night, and I'm going to repeat it here: RJ Barrett is going to be the Rookie of the Year um, because I think he is more set up with his game, with what the Knicks will ask him to do, uh, and how many points he'll score, how responsible he'll be on the offensive end, as opposed to Williamson, who will get his and is going to be a must-watch player. But the nature of his game is not like R.J. Barrett, who is a power wing, uh, a crafty southpaw, can shoot from outside, set the ACC freshman scoring record. The ACC freshman scoring yes. record, okay? Like, And he was so critical to that team when Williamson was out. So Zion, I think, will be good. I think he'll be good to really good. I'm, I stopped short of saying, like, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame because it's really hard to get to that kind of level. And if you look specifically over the past seven or eight years, the history of the number one pick in the NBA, there have been some hits and there have definitely been some misses there. It's an awesome story for Zion. With him getting emotional with his mother, that was incredible television. But uh, but let's see what he can do with the pieces around him because I think he'll thrive. But it would not shock me. I'll tag it with this. All right. On so the podcast, he... I, I, I'll, I'll tag it with this. On the podcast, I asked Parrish this question. I said, will Zion Williamson throughout his entire NBA career ever be a bigger deal in basketball than he was at Duke? Because he was the biggest story in basketball, not college basketball, basketball for the past eight months. We both said no. It uh, doesn't mean that he won't become a better player, but I think the, the height of his uh, complete relevance, I think, I think he might have just lived it while he was at Duke. That's outstanding. I have a radio show I have to do later on today for two hours. That's an outstanding topic. I love that question because I think it's fascinating. And you guys both agreed on it. I think you might be onto something, too, because he was such a phenomenon at Duke uh, this past season. Uh, quickly, before we get on to John Morant, David Griffin has pulled off this massive trade with all these pieces with the Lakers moving Anthony Davis, be, be getting the players from the Lakers, getting a lot of young pieces, getting future draft picks. Will New Orleans basically building around Zion, will they be a playoff contender? I should say, how long do you think it takes before they are a playoff contender? Is it this season? Is it two years, three years, or maybe never? I think it will be two years. I don't think it will be never. There's there's a lot involved there, and I know there have been uh, increasing comparisons with the Herschel Walker trade from, from three decades ago. Uh, Anthony Davis, with all due respect to Herschel Walker, Anthony Davis is much better in his sport now than Herschel Walker was then, in my opinion. Um, but Griffin got a great haul 
including Jackson Hayes, by the way, at number eight. And I had sources tell me shortly before that went through that New Orleans was going to trade out of that. And uh, and in fact, what they were going to, they fell back to eight. Uh, they were comfortable. Similar to how Phoenix, when it went from six to 11 and shocked everyone and took Cam Johnson, New Orleans was fairly confident, uh, if not certain, that by going to eight, it was going to get Jackson Hayes. So you ask, Will the Pelicans be a, a playoff contender next season, season after, and season after that? I'll go two years. I will say this. Jackson Hayes, you talk to NBA talent evaluators, they think he's raw. If he maximizes the talent that, that so many project for him, we're talking a top five talent in this draft. So that would mean the Pelicans would have two of the five most talented guys in a single draft combined with the veterans they're already going to put around him. Um, they're going to have a really strong chance at being a playoff team come 2021. All right, so you already said you think R.J. Barrett is the rookie of the year. Where does that leave you with Ja Morant, who goes two overall to Memphis? Well, ja Morant, I think, is going to be a solid NBA point guard. My expectation for him is that he is going to be a notch, the slightest of notches below what Mike Conley was for the Grizzlies. Now, what's interesting is Mike Conley, this is a bit of a stunner, never made an all-star game. But that's because it, it, he was a victim of his circumstance in the conference that he played in. Had Mike Conley been the same exact player and played in the Eastern Conference, he would have made two, three, four All-Star games. Didn't happen when you're playing behind the likes of of Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul. Go on down the list. Check out check out all the guys who have been All-Star level point guards, and that's why. But Conley is a is a franchise legend, uh, arguably the best player in that franchise's history. I think John Morant will be just just a little shy of that. And I expect his output statistically to be just a level below what Damian Lillard does. He does not resemble Damian Lillard in body type or really in true position because John Morant's a great combo guard where Damian Lillard's a lead scoring guard more than anything. Um, but I think John Morant's going to be capable of averaging 14 points, seven assists, six rebounds, and being a, a good solid pick here. I do not see him failing. I love his floor. I think that his floor is higher than Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. I just don't think that uh, that at his ceiling he'll be as good as, as those other two guys. All right, so you saw the uh, pre-draft. There was a lot of you know talk about Atlanta making moves. They do trade up for DeAndre Hunter, but they also add Cam Reddish at ten, who I know you know Duke has three uh, picks in the top ten. You know they set this you know record match in the Florida Gators uh, when they had all those studs coming back about a decade ago. But you did not like the Cam Reddish selection. Why not? I didn't view Cam Reddish as a top 15 prospect in this draft, Danny. Um, I have followed and seen Cam Reddish since he was playing as a high school kid. And I never, whenever I saw him, I never saw a player that I, that equated to the ranking that and the number that was assigned next to him. And listen, I know ranking high school players can sometimes and oftentimes be an exact science. But more often than not, if you really go and look at the history, if you went back to the past 20 years worth of high school rankings and looked at the top 20 guys in a given class, a lot of those are fairly accurate in terms of how well they were as college players and then how that uh, translated to draft position and even NBA careers. With Reddish, I think he's small in the chest, uh, shot worse from three-point range than Zion Williamson last season, uh, and obviously R.J. Barrett. Uh, was only a 39% two-point shooter. I just don't think he's validated as a top-10 pick. DeAndre Hunter, I love. I think that is terrific. I thought he was the fourth-best prospect here. I think that's fantastic. Maybe they think, maybe the Hawks front office thinks that because of Trey Young and his ability to score, Kevin Herter popped it right away, right alongside Trey Young last season, uh, that Reddish will be given a little bit of slack, a little bit of time to grow. That potential is there. I just didn't like him as a top-10 pick. You never know. I'll, I'll finish with this. 
If we look up at, and Cam Reddish at 24 years old finally blossoms, then he'll be he'll wind up being worth a top 10 pick. But in this particular draft, I thought it was stronger than people were giving credit for, and I just happen to think that Cam Reddish wasn't a top 15 guy. So Darius Garland was a player that had caught a lot of attention. The Knicks brought him in. There was, you know, the talk that maybe they would take him at three. Then you find, you know, it's probably a smokescreen. Whoever knows, whatever the Knicks were thinking there, how close it was. They end up going with RJ Barrett. But Darius Garland goes to Cleveland, who took Colin Sexton last year at number eight overall. How does he fit with that backcourt? That's going to be really interesting because Colin Sexton is uh, a player that plays with a lot of conviction, a lot of attitude, and I say that as a compliment. Uh, he will not take kindly, and I, I don't say this as a detriment to his personality, but his competitiveness. Colin Sexton will not take kindly to bringing in a more talented point guard one year after he was drafted. Darius Garland has tremendous handle. I would equate him, Danny, like... He is probably 85, at his best, he's probably 85% of what Kyrie Irving has been as a pro. Uh, I think they have very similar attributes in their game. Darius Garland has a better uh, pull-up jump shot, though. A really, really good shooter. I actually like his player profile, his style, to John Beeline's style in college. We'll see what John Beeline is as a professional coach. He's going to take that on for the first time in his life at 66 years old. Um, but the Garland-Sexton thing, I said on our draft show in HQ, I'll repeat it here. Given the nature of, of how both those guys play, it, we're in 2019. I think we will get to 2021, and one of those two players is not going to play for the Cavaliers. I do not see long-term how that's viable because they're just a little bit too similar and both need the ball in their hands. Maybe Cleveland's going to bail on Sexton after one season. That's that's fairly surprising, but I think that might be an inevitability. What do you think of the uh, Timberwolves trading up to get Jared Culver? Uh, solid, I guess. I actually believe that they, they thought that they were going to – potentially have other options there when they did that culver what you can't deny about culver is his work ethic i would say of the guys that were drafted maybe only morant and not even him has an even better reputation for his just endless desire work ethic to get better um culver's six six there's like these weird talking points by the way that start taking off where people are like he's grown to six eight he might grow to six ten i'm i'm almost positive jared culver is not going to grow anymore okay dude is like 20 going on 21 uh normally people don't continue to grow after that but has great vision good handle good on both ends of the floor doesn't lean one side or the other in terms of like oh he can only go right or he can only go left he can work at both see the post moves here um i like him i think that also I'll, I'll say this it is more likely than not that the three best players, uh, Danny, from this draft will not be the first three players that were taken um, because that happens in almost every draft. Just go ahead and look at the evidence there. And if you told me that Jared Culver wound up being one of the top three players, uh, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever was ranked 312th wow. coming out of high school. Those stories are why draft night's so incredible. Which is interesting because, you know, the narrative coming into this draft was it's a three-player draft with the three studs, and then there's a pretty significant drop-off. But I totally agree with you. It might look that way now, but oftentimes you see these hidden gems, guys that develop later for whatever reason. Maybe they're in a better fit, a better system, better franchise, that you see them play out, and they do have better terms. As far as that goes, is there a favorite pick in the first round that you see and you say, hey, maybe that's the next Draymond Green. Maybe that's the next whoever that wasn't a top three pick. Well, uh, how about this? Well, first of all, you say that's the next Draymond Green. Uh, just off script here a little bit. Eric Pascal going to the Warriors in the second round. If you told me he was Draymond Green light within two years, I would 100% believe it. That was one of my favorite second round picks. But my favorite pick of the first round, my the best fit outside the lottery 
Fiondu Cavangeli out of Florida State goes to the Clippers. I think he goes, he dropped at least, at least eight spots too low, maybe as many as 10 to 12. I think we'll look up in three years, Danny. He's going to be a top 10 player from this draft. I also think he is a history maker. Uh, listen, I have not had the, uh, the time or the resources to check every single draft to, to make sure this is true, but I, I gotta believe this is true. I think he is the only player in NBA draft history to be a multi-year college player, be a first round pick, and Danny, he never started a game in college. He came off the bench. Awesome player, great profile, uh, good handle, uh, a small ball five. You obviously see there the the connection to Dikembe Mutombo. If we can get a finger wag out of uh, out of Cavangeli in his rookie season, that would be incredible. I love the fit there. The Clippers did a great job. They actually got him and his college teammate Terrence Mann, who was taken in the second round. So for me, outside the lottery, that I thought was the best fit. I love it. I've already taken my futures bet on the Clippers to win it all next year with two Florida State guys. I have to, right? Um, Bull Bull was a guy that kept dropping, dropping, dropping throughout the night. Why does this, why did this happen? It happened, all right. It happened one because, uh, many teams had significant concerns about his medical issues. Two, kind of related to that, he's seen as frail. I mean, he, he's seven foot two. And in the neighborhood of 210 pounds, um, Danny, listen, I, I know you're still in tremendous shape, but I, I, I believe you weigh more than 210 pounds, right? I do. <laughs> yeah. So think about it. And, and Bull Bull has a, a foot on you, if not more. So the real, real concerns about that. He has had, um, there haven't been doubts about his talent. Like if you could just extract the talent out of Bull Bull, uh, many evaluators think that he was a top 10 talent in the draft, but uh, frail, does he want it enough? Does he love basketball? This turned into a really sad thing. And, and in fact, uh, the NBA, like, I know, like, memes are going to happen where he's wearing the, the spider web jacket. I, I get all that, whatever. Uh, the NBA is probably embarrassed and maybe, um, maybe significantly annoyed with its franchises. And I, because it doesn't want to have this happen again. You cannot have a player invited to the green room, even if you invite 21 guys. And there's a chance they might dip into the early second round. Fine, that's fine. Whatever. You can't right. have someone dro- dropping. A f- Danny, you can't have someone sitting there at 44. Right. Okay. The the atmosphere of an uh, just to bring uh, viewers and listeners in here, the atmosphere of an NBA draft in that building. Once you get to about that 44, 45, 46 range, no one's left in the green room. The media is gone. The building's almost empty. It is a depressing scene. It is absolutely the bar. 15 minutes before last call, Bull Bull still sitting there. Um, he might wind up proving people wrong. It would be a really good story if he did because the talent's there, but just a lot of teams, they had significant doubts, and it's why I said going in, I believed that some teams probably had Bobo as high as 10 or 11 on their board, but there were plenty that probably had him around 45, 46, and that wound up being the case. Yep, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Our producer was saying, I'm way over 210, I'm barely over 210. Like 213, 214, just so we're all on the same page. Fair enough. <laughs> Alright, Matt, appreciate it, man. Appreciate you getting up early this morning. I know you had a late night. Make sure you go check out Matt and Gary Paris, the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. Last night they were up super late, 3 a.m. They got finished it. Emergency Podcast, the immediate reaction from the draft recap. Go download it now. Matt, appreciate it. Go get some sleep, man. Hey, go get some mojitos. Enjoy vacation. Thanks, Danny. (laughs) You got it. Have a good one. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. 
lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, so we had, welcome back to Canelo Bell. We had the NBA draft last night. Great story coming off the top of the show, talking about the emotional night that we saw last night. Guys in tears, life-changing moment, and that is awesome for those guys. We also saw a lot of guys, Bull Bull, uh, start dropping. Those are bad scenarios, but they're not the worst case scenarios. I think the worst case scenarios are the players that go undrafted that came out, that declared for the draft. So it started off, we had 175 underclassmen declare for the NBA draft. That's great. Then they go through the process. Then they can decide whether they want to stay or they want to return. 86 remained in the draft process, said we want to go there, we want to try to get drafted. Only 39 of those 86 were actually drafted, which leaves, what is that, 47? My math, 47 players that are kind of hosed. Now, yes, they can get opportunities. They might get a free agent contract. They'll get opportunities playing the G League. They can go to Europe. But you know what would be a better opportunity and a better option for college basketball as a whole? Why not let them go back to college? Because then you could let all 175 who uh, who declared, let them all enter the draft. Let them all see if they get drafted. And if they don't, let them go back to school. It's a win-win for everybody. The kids get to see if they can get some leverage. They get to see if they can chase their dream. And if they don't, they have an option that is better than hitting the road and playing in the G League or going and maybe having a chance to make an NBA team is an extremely long shot. Instead, you can go back and continue to development in college. All of these colleges would, t- the college coaches, college programs would take them back. They would absolutely want them to come back for another year to make their team better. You get another uh, classman, re- an upperclassman return. Why wouldn't you do it? Baseball does it. Baseball always has the best solution for the amateur status and the draft process. Let them come out of high school. If they get drafted, great, they can go. If they get drafted and they don't like where they got drafted, they can return. And obviously, if they don't get drafted, they can go to college. Same thing. Let them go after three years. Let them go test the waters. If they get drafted, great. If they don't like where they get drafted, they can return. It's just the best common sense solution that I don't know why we do it. And I think it needs to happen sooner rather than later. And I think Adam Silver will take notice and we'll get that done. All right. I learned something over the past few days that I came to the realization when I saw this video, which I'm sure everybody has seen by now. Uh, it's really an unfortunate situation. You had these adults at a youth baseball game, a Little League baseball game in Lakewood, Colorado, and an absolute melee breaks out. And of course, there are no kids involved. They're out in the field holding their gloves, saying, when can we just start playing baseball again? As parents are acting like absolute animals on the field attacking one another. Here's the lesson I learned. We live in a society where we don't keep score for a lot of youth sports. We have everybody gets a trophy. It's a uh, participation trophy. There are no winners and losers. I hate that. But you know what I came to the realization of? It's not because the kids can't handle it. 
It's because the parents can't handle it. Clearly, when you see instances like this, the parents can't hand, can't handle when little Johnny or little Susie is losing or when there's an umpire that makes a bad call or God forbid screws up the lineup somehow that they absolutely lose it. And I know why it happens. We have parents and Raja and I talk about this all the time that are out of control. They're spending too much money. They're investing too much of their time and they're putting entirely way too much pressure on their kids who are oftentimes seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I've seen it firsthand coaching. They're getting out of control where they're going so much. Yeah, I'm all for supporting your children in sports. Sports are great. They teach you life lessons. But for parents to go watch practice, to hound coaches, to make sure they're running practice right, if you want to watch practice, how about volunteering and signing up to coach? Then you can be there. Otherwise, stay at home. Go to games, cheer for them. But when they're practicing, let the coach do their job. Uh, the, it's, the problem with it is, is that parents have so much invested. There's so much stress. And a lot of times there's financial stress that they have so much out there that they feel is on the line that they emotionally lose it. I've seen it happen time and time again to where I'm at the point where I'm wondering, do we not let parents even watch games? And if they do, there has to be a code of conduct. I was just talking to a buddy of mine who has a son who's 11 years old and he plays youth soccer. Travel soccer is incredibly intense. It's incredibly uh, competitive. And they had an incident where the parents were yelling at the umpires. And so you know what they did? They had a championship game and they said, no parents are allowed to watch the game. You know what happened? You would think, oh, the players, the kids, you know, they want to hear the fan support. They want to hear their parents cheering for them. But I talked to my buddy who was at this game and he said it was the best game from either team that he saw all year long. The kids were actually having fun on the field, competing, going at it, and playing freely because they don't have a maniacal parent out there screaming at him, screaming at the umpire, screaming at the ref, or got their coaches. They didn't have that cloud hanging over them. It's okay if your kids aren't that good because the chances are they're not going to be good enough to go play in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or the WNBA or the Olympics, whatever sport your son or daughter is playing, the reality is they're probably not good enough. So let them use sports for what they're meant to do. First, to have fun, to teach them how to compete. And sometimes the most important lesson is how to lose. And parents are the first ones that need to learn that lesson. All right, what's going on? Welcome back to Kinnell and Bell. We got to get to our buddy Brian McFadden. You can follow him on Twitter at BMAC underscore sports talk. My man, how's it going, BMAC? How are we doing today? What's up, Danny? How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a great day to be alive. It is a fantastic day to be alive. It is a, it's been a rough few years to be a Lakers fan. It's been a rough, really rough six months to be a Lakers fan, but there might be some optimism on the horizon. So now you've been a Lakers fan since what, the eighties? You go back to yeah. James Worthy, Magic, Kareem. You go back to the heyday, the Showtime Lakers, and you have never gotten off the bandwagon. Never. I mean, I was a big time Lakers fan when we had Sedale three running the point guard <laughs> position. So we're talking about a guy that has really been a faithful fan through the good times and the bad times and now seeing what happened over the last week or so. No question, I'm excited. All right, so you're excited, but I want to find out how realistic you are as well because the Lakers, as soon as they made the Anthony Davis trade, they vault to the favorite uh, to win the NBA championship. 
even though it's LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, and who the heck knows who else they're going to have on that roster, are you as optimistic as everybody else? Is that all they need and they'll figure out the rest, or there's still a lot of work to be done filling out the roster? I, I'm excited. I'm as optimistic as everybody else, and here's why. Vegas, they, they're always two steps ahead of everyone else. I mean, Golden State Warriors, the body was still warm, and instantly the, the Lakers became the favorite right before the trade was finalized. So clearly Vegas knew Anthony Davis was getting ready to be traded to L.A., and that, cal- uh, that ev- eventually elevated the Lakers to being the number one uh, favorites going into the season. And still, only with A.D., and, and LeBron, clearly, I do not believe the Lakers have enough to be the favorites, but they're still the favorites. So that also tells me, Danny, the, that Vegas know, they know the Lakers will eventually make another big time addition or maybe make smaller additions here or there that can get this team to be a quality team from top to bottom and not to mention just being able to compete in the West. So yes, with Anthony Davis and LeBron only, no, they're not the favorites, but clearly Vegas know Something else will happen for this team to still be the remaining favorite out of all the other elite teams in the NBA. I love it. And that's why everybody, I I often think the NBA is more entertaining uh, off the court with the moves that take place, with the drama that happens off the, off the floor, with the the beefs that are going on with locker rooms. That's why I can't wait to see what happens over the next couple of weeks when free agency opens up. What do they do? What pieces do they get back? So we'll all be watching that. We'll have to have you back on uh, when they start playing games, see if you stay as confident as you have been. Uh, but we got to take issue with our guy, Pete Prisco. He puts out his annual top 100 report. The top 100 players in the NFL ranked from 1 to 100. My first beef is number mm-hmm. one. The number one player he has in the draft is Aaron Donald. I do think Aaron Donald is the best player on defense, but... And BMAC, this is where I have an issue with it. What is the most important position in all of sports? Not even the NFL, in all of sports. It is quarterback. <laughs> you have to have a quarterback, number one, because, yes, Aaron Donald can impact games. But how many games does he go out there and win by himself, which you do see with quarterbacks? So that would be my first uh. beef. How can you have a defensive player as the number one most impactful player in the NFL? You know what? I smell some bias here. You know, I never played quarterback in any meaningful football game, but there's a guy that played quarterback that's currently on with me. He is Danny Connell. So I think you're being a bit biased. And here's why. Pat Mahomes, MVP of the league. No question. Ball was very, very consistent, but he did not win ball games by himself. He had a talented, talented cast that was surrounding him. And don't forget, before Pat Mahomes became the main guy there in charge in Kansas City, Alex Smith, the year before he was traded to Washington, the first six, seven ball games, he was the odds-on favorite to win the MVP. When you talk about MVP voting, the conversation of who was the top guy, who was the third guy, the second guy, Alex Smith was in that conversation. So this offense was doing some pretty good things. Now, granted, Pat Mahomes took it to another level because he's that talent, he's that type of uh, of a talent, but yet and still. He did not win ball games by himself. Aaron Donald was a guy that was a difference maker. Not saying that Pat Mahomes was not, but the job that Aaron, Aaron Donald did, commanding so much attention from opposing offensive lines, from opposing offensive coordinators, this is a guy that sparked fear in quarterbacks. This is a guy that was afraid, that made players afraid of him, and he just dominated the game. This guy was being double teamed. 
He was being triple teamed and still was effective. When you play against Pat Mahomes, not just focusing all your attention on him, but who else can you focus on? You got Travis Kelsey, a guy that is one of the top tier tight ends in the game. Mm-hmm. You got uh, Tariq Hill, the fastest guy in the game. And oh, by the way, you got Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins, a, a, a top 10 selection a few years ago and still has the potential to be a top tier player. So you have so many guys surrounding Pat Mahomes. No question. He was a top tier player, put up unbelievable stats. But Aaron Donald, angry Aaron is what I call him. You don't want to play against him, Danny. If you were playing quarterback right now in the National Football League, you would not want to play against him. You know why? Because you're afraid. He's like a boogeyman. You know <laughs> I would. Coming. I would have been terrified of him, no doubt. And just to know you how I feel about quarterbacks, I would have the top five would all be quarterbacks, no matter what, because I'm, they're that I'm, much I'm more not surprised. important. That's that's my bias throwing too. All right, stay with the Rams because Todd Gurley is at 29, which I think is too high for mm-hmm. one simple simple reason. I, the reports that you're hearing out of there are not great about the health and status of his knee. We saw him disappear in the playoffs. We saw him disappear in the Super Bowl. They, you know, CJ Anderson, they signed, they draft, uh, you know, the running back from Memphis, who I really like a lot, Darnold Henderson. He's an incredible back. But I think these are all bad signs, like red flags for the Rams, which I think is way too high to put Todd Gurley at 29 with all those question marks around a position that if we're pumping up the quarterback, the running back position is one that you can relatively easily replace. Well, it depends on who you are replacing. Uh, and usually I love ripping apart Pete Prisco's top 100. <laughs> but right here, I'm okay with having Todd Gurley 29, and here's why. If it was not from the mishaps towards the latter part of 2018, and if he finished healthy, Todd Gurley easily would have been a top five player going into 2019. So for him to drop outside of the top 25 to the 29th, I think that's a realistic uh, spot for him because we don't believe we will see the Todd Gurley that we've seen over the last two years as far as the opportunities. But yet and still, I do believe he will be as effective as we've seen because you can cut back some of the opportunities. Now he understands and he knows exactly what he's dealing with when it comes to the injury standpoint as far as with his knee. So he ha- he knows how to handle that situation. And the team, they know how to handle the carries, the catches. So I think he still will be a top-tier player. And Todd Gurley is the main ingredient for the success of that offense because of the sets that Todd Gurley has had, he has allowed the likes of Jerry Goff, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, uh, uh, Woods. All these guys have flourished because of what Todd Gurley has been able to do. So being there at 29, I'm okay with that. All right. I don't want Rams fans to get up mad at me, think I'm picking on them or anything, but Sounds one of like the bigger, right, right? It does. I promise I don't. Uh, although I did pick the, uh, I think I picked the Seahawks to win the division next year. So we'll see. I'm not picking on the Rams. I promise. But when you look at Jared Goff, how high he has him, he has Baker Mayfield below Jared Goff, who I think is better. And I also think Deshaun Watson, who's not even on Pete's top 100 wow. list. Both of those quarterbacks alone are better players to me than Jared Goff. Jared Goff, you talk about product of the system, how Patrick Mahomes has, you know, good weapons around him. Jared Goff has incredible weapons. He's got one of the best innovative minds in Sean McVay. And the, you know, we're seeing all these other young quarterbacks get new deals and the Rams are saying, well, wait a second. We might be able to find somebody else who can take this offense to even another level. That's why I'm surprised that I have two quarterbacks that I think should be over, over Jared Goff. Well, I'm, let's talk about Deshaun Watson, number one. I don't know what yeah. Pete was drinking right. when he was putting this list together. But clearly, <laughs> not having Deshaun Watson anywhere on this list, that's an issue. But, yeah, talking about Jared Goff. Now, the thing about Jared Goff is 
as far as talent, you might not put him in that outstanding passer talent type of quarterback compared to some of the other guys like a Baker Mayfield. But the thing that I love about Jared Goff, he throws a very, very pretty ball. I love his deep ball, and he has improved from the IQ standpoint. The above-the-shoulder game, he has improved dramatically. And no, by the way, yes, he has an outstanding group of guys surrounding him, but he manages the system extremely well. I mean, three years ago, we were ready to put the bus label on Jared Goff. Now, granted, Sean McVay came in, revamped the system, added some pieces uh, around him, and now you're seeing a top-tier player do some good things. So I'm okay with Jared Goff being above the likes of Baker Mayfield. I think Deshaun Watson should be on the list, and if Deshaun Watson was on the list, I'm okay with Jared Goff being ahead of Deshaun Watson. This guy led his team uh, to a Super Bowl opportunity, uh, didn't play well, but yet still he was able to get his team there to the Super Bowl. The last two years, Jared Goff has really done a tremendous job improving, and he might not just blow you away with the eye test, but when you when you really watch how he plays the game at the quarterback position, you learn to appreciate some of the little things that he does, and he does them well. I'm going to tee you up on this one because I want to hear what you, your thoughts. What, what's your beef with Aaron Rodgers? I don't have a beef with Aaron Rodgers. I have a beef with Pete having Aaron Rodgers above Tom Brady. That's my beef. I don't, I don't have any wine, but I would love to have some wine with my beef because Pete, he owes me a bottle of wine, even though I don't drink. How can you have Aaron Rodgers number three, right? Behind Pat Mahomes and you have Tom Brady number six. Granted, I heard Pete talking about the injuries. That's an excuse. When has Pete Prisco just put an excuse tag on guys? He's been a guy that, no, it's not about excuses. If you're injured, you're injured. If you're healthy, you're healthy. Production is the key. When you're on the football field, you're expected to be productive. Now, even though Aaron Rodgers was not extremely healthy, he still put up pretty good numbers. But this list is based on what we saw in 2018 going into 2019. And because of that, hearing the issues with the new head coach and Matt LaFleur, not allowing Tom, uh, Aaron Rodgers to have the flexibility to make audibles at the line of scrimmage, which is crazy, by the way. Not allowing him to be as, as, as comfortable in that offense that we've seen over the last few years. I don't believe... Aaron Rodgers would start the season on fire like we've seen over the last, what, four or five plus years. Because of that, Aaron Rodgers does not like that. And if they don't change that logic, there could be some issues between head coach and quarterback. But Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, once again, the OC. I don't care who is catching the football for Tom Brady. They're going to be successful. And right now, Danny, let me ask you a question. Viewers, if you guys could answer this question also, please tweet it at me. Which offense do you believe will be better in 2019, Green Bay or New England? Hands down, New England Patriots. We've seen it every single and, year from them, and it's consistent. They're not changing anything. You know what, D Danny? You're a smart man. You, you you probably went to a very very you know an outstanding university. I don't know, but I, I'm just assuming. <laughs> but with you saying you would take New England, and you said earlier the most important position on the football field football team is what? Quarterback. Quarterback. So if Tom Brady is the head guy for the New England Patriots, and we know that, and he's the quarterback, and if you believe, and I believe also that the New England Patriots will have a better offense, how can you have Aaron Rodgers above Tom Brady when this list is based on how you finished 2018 going into 2019? How? 
I am totally on board with you. I think there are, I would have Tom Brady ahead of him as well. I might even have him over Patrick Mahomes because of the resume, but I can totally understand why Mahomes coming off a 50 touchdown season, you would want him for this, even just this one year. I love Patrick Mahomes, but I would absolutely have Brady over Rodgers. I think there are two quarterbacks that are living on their past reputation and accomplishments, and they have to have big, kind of comeback years to prove some of their critics wrong. And it's Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and it's Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. And both of them are Hall of Famers, all-time greats, but they need to do a little rehab with their image and their reputation and get back to winning, which is what you play the sport for. So I'm interested to see how that uh, plays out. My last player uh, that I want to talk about is your cousin, Patrick Peterson. He has him at 42. I think that is entirely too low for... A player who's 28 years old, who I think is the best defensive back in the NFL. He's the most athletic guy in a game when we're done. Like the years of, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust are gone. Offenses are challenging defensive backs more than ever before. So, yes, Luke Keekley is a good player in the middle of your field as a linebacker. But the value that you're going to get from a lockdown, shutdown corner that you're going to get up out of Patrick is infinitely better and more than you get out of another player. So I think, and I get that he's going to be out for six games. I think it stinks. I hate it, but he's got to pay his dues. But when he's back, I think he's the, one of the best defensive players and most underrated players in the NFL. Oh, hands down. I agree with you. It's, 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 it's similar to what we were talking about with Todd Gurley because of how we believe he will come into 2019 because of the injury concerns. He dropped to the 29th spot. The same could be said for Pat because Pat will miss the first six ball games, but yet and still his impact will be felt. With Pat not being on the football field, he gains leverage. He will earn his worth. He will show his worth with him not being on the football field because, like you said, he's a guy that can take down your best opposing wide receiver. There are not too many guys that can do that, that can play man-to-man at least 80% of the snaps and still be extremely productive in today's NFL game where everything is pretty much catered to offensive players. So for him to be in the 40s, that's disrespectful, Pete Prisco. And I will make sure I tell Pat this personally, if he hasn't already seen this list, how disrespectful you have been to one of the best lockdown corners over the last six plus years in the National Football League. And then I heard Pete say, well, he's going to miss six ball games, so it's going to be almost impossible for him to make an all pro team. Yeah, it could be, but yet and still, he has a talent that can prove you wrong. He can come in and play the remaining 10 ball games and drop six, inter- I mean, give you six interceptions and three defensive touchdowns. And guess what? That would get him an all pro opportunity. So, Pete, you know what? All you did was just, you know, you know, you ruffle some feathers a little bit. And I would make sure I would personally give him this list so he can get some more added motive, motivation, add some more motivation to what he's already going through right now currently. I love it. B-Mac, we're going to have to make this a weekly segment where we just come together yes. and bash Pete Prisco. Hey. <laughs> and you know what, Danny? Any, and, and Raja, I know Raja's not there, but I got I got some Laker jerseys. If you guys want to jump on the bandwagon <laughs> before we make our other big-time signing, I have room. I'll have to send you guys a, 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 a fill-out, a questionnaire to make sure you guys are worthy. <laughs> but yet and still, I can get that to you guys any given time. Doesn't worry. Don't worry about it. I love it, man. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, man. Have a good weekend. Uh, you too. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Hanging out. It's Friday, moments before my three-day weekend uh, kicks off. Uh, I want to get to Baker Mayfield because about a week ago, 
when he inserted himself in the Duke Johnson trade demands with his his team, the Cleveland Browns, I gave him a warning right here on CBS Sports HQ. And to be fair, I am a Baker Mayfield fan. I am not a radio host trying to troll him for clicks or a response. I want him to succeed. I love that the Browns thought outside the box and took him number one overall. But there is a very fine line between being confident and being a cocky punk. And Baker Mayfield is really towing that line very, very closely. And the NFL will humble you faster than any professional sports league, especially when you play quarterback. So I would tell Baker Mayfield just to chill out a little bit with the smack talk. On the field, do your thing. Trash talk all you want. Go out there, deliver. Do your thing if that's what helps you prep. But off the field, keep your comments to yourself dealing with your teammates or in this circumstance, a college player. Now, Baker Mayfield was on a radio station in Norman, Oklahoma. So I get that. I'm hoping that he was having fun and doing some smack talking, which happens in some of the greatest rivalries in college football. Obviously, Oklahoma versus Texas is one of those rivalries. But he went on there, and he absolutely trashed Sam Ellinger, the current quarterback at the University of Texas. Not a former quarterback who is now in the NFL, who is another the roster. No, the current quarterback at the University of Texas. Quote, Baker Mayfield. He was asked if Texas was back, which is a joke among college football fans, and I get it. But Baker Mayfield said, his opinion on anything winning... Westlake's a great program, but the two best quarterbacks to come out of there are Drew Brees and Nick Foles. Sam can stay down there in Texas. Then he goes on. That'll stir the pot. He doesn't like me, and I hope he knows I don't like him either. Didn't call it, you know, trashed him, said he wasn't a winner. Uh, said Drew Brees and Nick Foles are the best quarterbacks to come out of there. That's not a diss to Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger still has to prove himself, clearly. But he's been a really good college quarterback and nowhere near the level that Baker Mayfield has been. But why are you lowering yourself to the level of trash-talking another college quarterback when you're in the NFL? I don't understand it. And it it makes you unlikable. And I like you, but it makes you unlikable when you lower yourself to this level. Can you imagine Tom Brady this past year um, going out there, Ohio State, Michigan is playing, and he's absolutely trashing their quarterback? I, I I can't I can't picture a scenario where that is unless it's totally in fun and it's in jest. But even then, I can pretty much guarantee you Tom Brady's going to gear it towards the overall rivalry, towards Ohio State as a university, and not geared toward a player. It just it's beneath you. Be better than that because I want you to succeed. I don't want you to be made to look like a fool, which is what will happen if you don't back it up on the field. I think you will. But don't even leave it open. Shut that door while you still can. All right. That's a wrap for us. We will be back Tuesday, Raja and me. We will have some fill-ins on Monday who are going to be awesome. They might even be better than us. Make sure you check that out on Monday. Have a good weekend.